Thanks to ZipRecruiter, which is the presenting sponsor of Recode Decode and the smartest way to hire. Staffing tech companies is tricky. From high turnover to rapidly changing skill sets, you really have to stay on your toes. ZipRecruiter knows because they're a tech company too. So it's no surprise they built a product that uses powerful machine learning algorithms that make finding qualified candidates simple, efficient, and intuitive. If you're hiring, it's time to get smart. Try ZipRecruiter for free right now at ZipRecruiter.com slash decode. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash decode. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, editor-at-large of Recode. You may know me as someone who is not easily word-pressed, but in my spare time, I talk tech, and you're listening to Recode Decode from the Vox Media Podcast Network. The person you heard laughing and is in the red chair today is Matt Mullenweg, the co-founder of WordPress. It's been 15 years since it began. WordPress now powers nearly a third of the websites on the internet. Matt's company, Automatic, has 740 employees, but no physical office still. It's also the owner of Long Reads and just acquired another media startup, The Atavist. And I know him, how long have we known him? Forever. And All Things D was on WordPress forever, and so was Recode. It was one of the first ever VIP sites in the world. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It was. And so we're going to talk about that. And actually, we'll talk about like a little snafu that just happened with it. But first, we have so much news. You have a lot of things going on. But let's give people who don't know. You were one of the first people on the podcast a couple of years ago Hmm. when we were early to the podcast game. Um, So why don't we talk just to update people, explain what WordPress is, where you guys are now as a company. And then I want to get into these purchases you just made and some other many. We have many topics. (laughs) A lot to catch up on. You're a very thoughtful person person, so it's going to be... I mean, WordPress started uh, as an open-source blogging system Mm -hmm. that uh, myself and some other folks were contributing to, Mm -hmm. and uh, really started to to have some early adoption by people who who thought that the web needed something that really... The web standards, we had our early Mm -hmm. uh, uh, tagline, code is poetry, so we tracked a lot of developers. Mm -hmm. And it evolved from being just a blogging system to being a CMS. Right. That was around the time that All Things D got right. on it, where you could really power very right. robust sites on yeah. it. Yeah, that's 2007, I think, somewhere like yeah. that. Yeah, so yeah, very early. It was ago, only yeah. four years old. Yeah. And then um, over time, it really became much more of a platform and kind of like a web operating system. Right, right. So much like any open source kind of uh, natural monopoly, it started to pick up tons of market share and now powers 31% of the top websites and is actually accelerating. So even though we are 15 years old and larger than ever, uh, the growth is picking up. Yeah. Now, one of the things that you did, one of the, there were a lot of sites like yours in the beginning, and I, yeah. I remember looking at all of them, and I'm blanking on every single name. Six apart, Six movable apart. type, Yes, iPad, right, exactly. Blogger. And, and a lot of people thought that business would sort of go away in a, in a weird way, and a lot of them did go away. What, give me an idea of how you guys shifted in, in focus, because I think a lot of those either got bought up or, or yeah. then, I don't know what happened to all of them. You can tell me. You probably know. So there were some fundamental technology and architectural bets that mm-hmm. I think enabled us to win. Right. Uh, fundamentally, we bet on Moore's Law. Mm-hmm. So our biggest competitor at the time, probably 90% market share, was uh, movable type. Right. And they would, you know, in technical terms, pre-generate the pages, like make static files, right. which I is very fast to serve, yeah. but then slow and got slower the more posts you had, like the longer you ran your site. Right. So we kind of bet that uh, on PHP as a language, MySQL as a database, and then that Servers were going to get faster and faster, so doing it dynamically, while a little bit slower uh, to serve each page, would allow so much more flexibility. And it would get so fast within a couple of generations that it wouldn't wouldn't matter. matter. Right. So everyone can run things fully dynamically now. It's just Mm -hmm. fine. Right. And when you say up to 31% of the top, explain who that is, how people come to you now. Because there's lots of different services with WordPress at this point. Yeah. So, again, WordPress... uh, .com is just... 
A good analogy is yeah. actually Android. Okay. So, uh, you know, Google has their Pixel phone. We have mm-hmm. WordPress.com. So you can right. get WordPress from us, and we'll run it for you, and it's you know, we run it very it's well. A bi- it's a ser- just put it up kind of yeah, thing. Yeah, 20, 30 billion pages per month. Like it, We run it at a very large scale, and it's, mm-hmm. it's basically bulletproof because we now have, I'll say, 25 points of presence all over the world. So mm-hmm. we can very, very quick, very, very speedy. Um, you can also get WordPress from GoDaddy, Amazon, Bluehost, mm-hmm. you know, all, all sorts of other web hosts there. It generally accounts for half or more of all of their customers run WordPress. And so and they, they offer all, it to them as a service. They offer it, and then, you know, ideally the best ones also contribute back. Mm-hmm. So uh, when a new WordPress release comes out, a core open source release, uh, it'll often have 350 contributors, of which maybe only 10% are automatic automaticians or automatic employees. And, you know, it'll be translated into 50 languages on day one. So, again, that's kind of the, I could probably only name 45 of those languages. Right, right, right. <laughs> Much right, less speak them. Right. That's the benefit of open source, that when you get, like, the kind of communities going. Um, I just came from WordCamp Europe. It was in Belgrade mm-hmm. this year. Oh, wow. 2,000 people. Mm-hmm. You know, a huge audience of folks who are, are really, really passionate. And they work on WordPress not just because it's their job, but they love it. Right. Okay. And then you have a VIP, sir. Which, is that most of the big ones, or what's the... How does that work? VIP is doing really, really well. I'm acting like I'm dumb. I do know how it works. Uh, VIP is kind of an enterprise WordPress. Mm -hmm. It's small for us. It's only about 10% of Automatic's business. Uh, But it has some great new customers, including like actually one of the largest new ones is Facebook. Mm -hmm. All the websites that aren't facebook.com are on the VIP service. Mm -hmm. And back in the day, we were very proud to host All Things D and Recode. and, Mm -hmm. And it's basically where if you're running enterprise WordPress, like you wanted something that's just absolutely is never going to go down, and you have a lot of support. Right. They'll audit the code. They'll do right. all those sorts of things. Uh, you can pay a lot of money for it. Right. Now, why does Facebook do it? Explain what it, you mean, all the sites that aren't Facebook. Well, VIP They can't make is, that themselves. Well, of course they can. Yeah. They're one of the best yeah. technology companies yeah. of the generation. <laughs> yeah. Um, VIP is also extremely secure. Mm-hmm. So if you're going to put something on the web, you want it to be sort of like super ultra secure. Um it's WordPress is signed off. WordPress on VIP is signed off by all the security teams of all these different companies. Mm-hmm. And so it's very, very easy for them to spin up new sites. You know, maybe it's like an internet.org or a Chan Zuckerberg Institute or, right. or like a, their press release site, newsroom.fb.com, all that right. stuff. So it's just easy for people to spin things to up where versus going through IT, getting developers, everything right, like that. Right, so right, right. a lot of the customers, you know, traditionally we're known for media. So mm-hmm. we host a ton of the media sites. Like 538 on election day mm-hmm. gets crazy traffic and right. it works perfectly fine because we're running it. Right. But a lot of the new adopters of, of WordPress VIP are more traditional enterprises right. and tech companies even. Right. They just want to put them up. So what's changed in the period, you know, that you've been around? Now, 15 years is an enormous amount of time in web terms. Oh, um, there's these new smartphone things mm-hmm. that are doing yeah, really I've well. Heard about them. Yeah. Uh, JavaScript has I've really heard become about screens, the small yeah. screens. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, everything has changed. Yeah. Like it's almost what hasn't changed is that people still love to publish, mm-hmm. and there's an appetite for original voices. There's an appetite for people uh, to share things, mm-hmm. probably more than ever. Actually, right. um, literally everything else has changed. Even okay. WordPress itself, which from like I talked about PHP. From your perspective, how do you look at sort of the the arc of of publishing essentially? Oh. In what regard? Well, in the regard of how people use the web, obviously mm. mobile, that's the most important thing I would imagine in terms of being able to post mobily, to yeah. be able to have every, that seems to be the biggest trend, but maybe not. Consumption. Maybe. People are reading right. more than ever, right. which is something that 
I think when phones first came out and the screens were small and low resolution, right. we thought no one would read longer stuff on it. Right. And now people really do. They read, mm-hmm. I mean, we run long reads and Atavist, which is 15, 20,000 words per article. Mm-hmm. Like these are primarily consumed on mobile. Right. So traffic's actually gone up. Mm-hmm. Uh, social networks, which everyone thought would kill blogs, actually increased the traffic mm-hmm. to mm-hmm. the independent sites quite a bit. Mm-hmm. The thing that's changing right now that I'm really excited about, I've been working on it for about a year and a half. That's why I have this crazy beard is we're doing this thing. You have called- another crazy beard. Let's be clear. <laughs> this is your latest. You've had crazy beards. Never beards. beard. It's always long, different hair. But never oh, beard. yeah. The Jesus mm-hmm. hair. Right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. You have short hair now and a long beard. Yeah. Right. Yeah. You look like you live in Brooklyn, but go ahead. <laughs> we have this new thing we're working on for about a year and a half called Gutenberg. Mm-hmm. And Gutenberg is Bible. Uh, kind of like the you know the inventor of the printing press. Yeah, no, um, Gutenberg Bible. It's you know for the longest time people would very much write for the web mm-hmm. like it was a word document. In fact, mm-hmm. a lot of folks right. would still write things in docs and then email sure. them around, and someone else would post them. And the web can create so much richer stuff than that. And actually, some box properties like Verge and things like that, like their feature pieces, do a really great job of being something you actually want to visit or be on. Mm-hmm. Uh, so what Gutenberg does is it takes that kind of richness where you have like beautiful widescreen photos, videos, interactive elements, or business site things like right. contact forms, menus, maps. Sure. And uh, makes it so without any code, you can kind of drag and drop, move these around, mm-hmm. assemble a post, kind of like a, a Lego blocks. Mm-hmm. And it's a lot of fun. And we're doing it in a way that brings along, that's backwards compatible with the tens or hundreds of billions of posts and pages that have been created with WordPress already, and brings along our 50,000 plugins and themes. So it actually takes... WordPress has evolved, has lots of different concepts of widgets and short codes and all these different things. We're able to flatten it all into these blocks, mm-hmm. and they have a much better interface, too. And so people will do more with things and create more interactive experiences. You can do stuff you really used to need a, an engineer or mm-hmm. a coder before or to know mm-hmm. HTML. You can now do it just with this very like drag-and-drop interface, and of course it works great on mobile. All right. Now, what are the features people have changed over the time period? That is the biggest one that's mm-hmm. coming. It's definitely one of the biggest changes to WordPress, I'd say, in the past that 10 years. That it's not worked. Yeah. Yeah, that it's video, that it's graphics, that it's what? It allows you to bring all that in. Right, right. Um, other changes that are big. You know, one thing, you know, we'll see where it goes, but are you familiar with Google's accelerated mobile pages? Mm-hmm. Google AMP? Mm-hmm. Um, it gets a bad rep because Google kind of— Yeah, it does. They botched the rollout a little bit, but the underlying tech is open source, and mm-hmm. it's actually quite good because— for you as an independent publisher to have a future, we need you to load just as fast yes. as something that's embedded in an app. Mm-hmm. And Facebook's, you know, done the bait and switch. They're like yes, the, uh, was it Lucy that would always pull the football away? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so many times that people are like, we need an independent yeah. alternative. Yeah. And I think AMP could be that. Because, explain that for publishers, because it's a really, it's, a, it's something I hear griping about all the time between Facebook and Google, because you have to sort of have presence there, and at the same mm-hmm. time, it's sort of a, a Faustian deal. <laughs> the devil kind of thing. Well, the cool thing about AMP is that it is an open standard. So mm-hmm. it's supported by search engines and other apps mm-hmm. besides uh, Google, including yep. Twitter, that? Bing. Okay. Right. I mean, Twitter is a huge one. Yeah. So other social networks can support it. It basically takes HTML, which is this wild thing, mm-hmm. and says, here's a subset that we can make really, really fast. Right. And actually, I think some of the biggest improvements in AMP are some very strict guidelines around advertising. Mm-hmm. So... If you know this, part of the reason all publisher sites are so slow is they load like five megabytes of JavaScript and like 70 different scripts and everything. The actual site now, especially if they're using WordPress, can be basically instant. Mm -hmm. They load in sub 50, 100 milliseconds. Mm -hmm. All the ads really slow things down. So it actually constrains that as well. So it's a set of constraints that allow web pages to load 
basically instantly, especially right. with a pre-rendering. Right, which is what you want to do when people are looking for things. You know, there was a studies back in the day where Amazon would slow it down 100 milliseconds and they'd sell 10% less stuff mm-hmm. or like Yahoo or right. Google experiment with slowing down pages. The faster things are, the more people use them. Right. And the truth is that like what's going to happen is if you if I see two articles talking about the same thing, I'm going to click on the AMP one because I know it'll load instantly. Right. Or the other one could be spinning for 5, 10, 20 seconds. Right, right, which is just an eternity for most people. No, it is. No, it is. On your phone, is. it is. It is, yeah. 100%. Now, when you uh, think about publishing uh, and on the web, when you think about publishers, one of the things that's been nice about WordPress is you've sort of been a friend to publishers. Yeah. But publishers do not feel that friendly with a lot of the Internet companies. <laughs> Why? Wh- where do you think that relationship is? Because it goes back and forth and back and forth. First, they embrace, say, Facebook or Google, and then mm-hmm. they pull away because um, they feel used by them or they don't get the results they want or the money or anything else. I think publisher. well, historically, publishers have been the greatest aggregators in the world mm-hmm. and had terrific economics sure. because of that. And that's now changed. The right. aggregators are now the search engines, the social networks. Mm-hmm. And so it always felt like publishers, especially large ones, would clash with these social networks and advertising firms because they have fundamentally the same business model, right. like intermediating access to an audience. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've never run into it because we've never been an advertising right. company. Right. So we want to make the best tools in the world. And we want to do it for decades to come. I've been doing WordPress for 15 years. I want to do it the rest of my life. Wow. Okay. And so We're going to talk about that. I can sit across the table from you and say, hey, use WordPress. It's not going to go away where this other CMS has come and go so many times. And by the way, if you say no now, I can wait 10 years. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, Vox has its own thing now. Right. I, I would bet $100,000 that within the next 10 years, you'll switch to WordPress again. Mm-hmm. Because it's uh, just like no one writes their own mobile phone operating system now. You're just right. going to use Android, like things like that. There's just so much more you can do on top of an existing platform versus mm-hmm. reinventing the wheel yourself. Right, which a lot of publishers and tech, technology people like to do. Yeah, well, we'll just wait out that CTO and... Uh-huh. He's pretty good. Trey's pretty good. Um, Trey's actually awesome. Trey's awesome. Yeah. And he's from uh, Austin. Texas. Texas. I love That's Texans. Right. Yeah, I know you do. Um, we need to hang out. You introduced us, but I think we you didn't do. Uh, well, I, I can't keep introducing you. I can't, like, it's like a man <laughs> date or something, like a tech date or whatever, a geek date. He's wonderful. Um, so when you think about where publishing is going then, it, with this this disconnect in power, essentially, is what it has happened, mm-hmm. how, how, how do you look at it long term for publishers? Because I think they really do seem as worried as ever, as I've ever seen them. So there's a disconnect in distribution mechanism, Mm -hmm. which is very, very true. But I think that you do have, there can be another wave, Mm -hmm. not certain it'll happen, but where payments are so much lower friction than they've ever been. Mm -hmm. Um, People are developing habits around certain sites Mm -hmm. and some that are really tailoring their content to both be fast and kind of move you between things in a consistent format. Uh, Quartz was very innovative here, a mm-hmm. WordPress site. I'll say a non-WordPress site, Axios, has done, I think, a really good job. And things like newsletters are actually making a huge comeback. They are. So there's this whole kind of like what's old is new again. It's not that it's old is new again. It's that, that the behaviors that was built on uh, were actually really fundamentally good ones. It's nice to be able to hear the same voice talking about right. the latest in tech. Right. On a consistent basis. And you develop a relationship right. with that voice, with mm-hmm. the Kara Swisher take on things. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that, that develops that, that practice. <laughs> well, the beauty is like you Stockholm don't syndrome. need to be intermediated right. by so many layers. Right. It's like the amount of tech and money and everything needed for you to reach sure. an audience of millions. Right. Gets yeah. lower every year. Yeah, yeah. So when you think about that, I mean, look, give me the example. What does Quartz do and Axios do? What do they do that creates that? So something Quartz did incredible innovation on was 
One, they made it incredibly fast. Mm -hmm. They eschewed traditional advertising, so they did sponsor post model. Mm -hmm. um, and then they created this where the, the site essentially would infinite load post to post. Mm -hmm. A lot of people are copying this now, including TechCrunch. Right. Um, but so you could just keep kind of scrolling in a very natural way, almost like flipping through a, a magazine. Bottom, right, yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's really compelling. Why is that? Tell it's me. It's not why. hard to do. Why, why is that? Um, it's the same reason that you eat more when there's a buffet. Mm -hmm. <laughs> like, you know, when there is a, uh, it's actually this amazing experiment by a, a food researcher that I really like. And uh, they, and they have this text kitchen, test mm -hmm. restaurant. Mm -hmm. And they hooked, uh, to track how much more people would eat, mm -hmm. they hooked uh, little tubes to the bottom of these soup bowls. Mm -hmm. And so the, as you were eating the soup or drinking, yeah, spooning the soup, um, you would, it would kind of refill it. Mm -hmm. and it turns out people consume like 80% more. Uh, a lot of the research is actually driven by uh, the U.S. military because the army needs to get people to consume sometimes five, 6,000 calories a day. Right. They're deployed in you know, mm -hmm. Afghanistan or Iraq so or something. So they use soup bowls with tubes? All right. And the amazing, funny end of it is like, uh, it was like the experiment was going great. It was going so well. So this one patron like lifted his bowl like a Viking to his mouth and then the tube started squirting soup ah. everywhere. <laughs> ah. like, people started screaming because I guess it was like a tomato soup. And so, yeah. yeah. I think no one Brian, noticed the soup wasn't ending, that it was a never-ending yeah. bowl? Oh, my God. The book's called Mindless Eating. It's a really good one. Right, I want to okay. say the guy's named Brian Wasnick. Oh, man. It's fascinating human psychology because humans— People are stupid. I've already gotten that one. Not I've learned stupid. that. Oh, come just, on. We have Please. a lot of different parts Don't of our brain. Don't talk to me today. Today they're stupid. Um, oh. <laughs> right. um, so they do that loading. And what did Axios do that you thought was cool? Axios, I, I would actually defer to you here because mm -hmm. I feel like they really innovated on the editorial format. Yeah. What would you say? I, I, I like a lot of it. I, I, haven't, I think it'll eventually get tired. Mm. It's nice because it's bite-sized. It is. They do the infinite scroll. They do all that sort of stuff. Sure. That's kind of best technology. I think it um, works in certain topic areas, they, and it, but it depends on the person doing it. I think yeah. that's the problem. And that's true. It's always the problem. Uh, I'll contrast it to another site. I, I think like. it's sometimes nutritionally deficient, no, but not oh, everybody. Um, not everybody. So I want more, and I uh, there's not enough soup. There's an awesome WordPress site called The Intercept, and so yeah. like Lynn mm -hmm. Greenwald and everything. Amazing sure. journalism. But when I load one of those, I'm like, oh, this is going to be long. Right, yeah. <laughs> you know? And I kind of want maybe like the more bite-sized version of it. Yes, I see that. I see that. There's yeah, I think about that a lot. I think about you, you do, but you don't. Kind of, thing. it's like mm -hmm. eating an empty calorie kind of thing. But not all of it is. That's the thing. It depends on the person. So that's. I would say that the formats, you know, formats when you had to fill a certain number of inches on a newspaper, yeah. like you would pad things. It's why a lot of business books could be really great HBR articles. Yes, but they stretch them out in the books. Yes, I think we yeah. have some of that in news as well. Absolutely, but then there's. I have a concept. I, I, yes, I agree mm -hmm. with you on some level, but it's it's a, it's yes, I do. Yes, I do. Yes, oh, I do. and again, I defer to you. You've been doing well. This I, I think I think I, I like part of it. So it's hard. It's it's a more complicated discussion because I like part of it and I don't like part of it. You know what I mean? Like I see the problem in it, and mm -hmm. I do think when you have any formula like a TV show or you know, there's been TV shows people love and then or Pokemon Go, they love it and then they don't. Mm -hmm. Like it feels a little like formulaic, and so that's a lot. Mm -hmm. Some of these new concepts feel not just Axios, but a lot of others feel a little formulaic, and I think people. Like you said, something when something is a good idea, like newsletters, it just mm -hmm. is a good idea. You know what I mean? Like it works really well. Yeah. But how so, long, for example, has the Wall Street Journal had that side rail that has the bullet points? 
Oh, they, when they changed that? That was not that long. They had something there before. They had long stories there before, and they changed the long stories out. I, I feel figured, like the kind of idea that they're, you know, yeah. just a, a lot below. They did. Points, they they did it when they, I was there. They yeah, changed it, and they used to have a, a long decade, story. Yes, you know? yeah. So they had a lo- short story. They had a long story there, and they got rid of that. And mm. I don't know. It's interesting. It's I think people surprise you on what they'll read and what they'll want. Long reads. Like, I, I like long reads on Twitter. Every week they have one of those. I like moments a lot. I don't I don't know why I like that so much, <laughs> but I do. I know. I don't know if it's working or not, but it's working for Kara Swisher. The cool. Mom, I'm glad to hear it. Yeah. No, we, we, love, we love people writing and, and Innovating in, in the way stuff. I can, I'm trying to think how I consume and I have a certain, I definitely have a certain path I go every day. I mean, we'll call, we call it WordPress. Like yeah. the written word is yes. very yeah, got it. lifelong right, love. When we get back, I want to do, I'm thinking of press, I want to understand why you bought Long Reads and also The Atavist. When we get back with Matt Mullenweg, he is the founder of WordPress and uh, one of the more thoughtful people in the internet space. And that's a, It's a very low bar, but you jump it easily. (laughs) We're going to take a quick break now. We'll be back with Matt Mullenweg, the co-founder of WordPress. Today's show is brought to you by ZipRecruiter, which is the presenting sponsor of Recode Decode and the smartest way to hire. If you run a tech company, then you're probably very used to, well, running. Sprinting through dev and testing cycles, scrambling to find investors, hurtling through regulatory reviews. So when you're hiring, you don't want to waste time interviewing people who don't have all the skills and experience you need. You need a way to quickly identify the strongest, most qualified candidates. You need ZipRecruiter. Their powerful matching technology scans thousands of resumes across the network to actively find people with the right experience and invites them to apply to your job so you get qualified candidates fast. It's so effective that 80% of employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate through the site within the first day. So if you're hiring, it's time to get smart. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash decode right now where you can try ZipRecruiter for free. The lowest risk price there is. Don't waste another second. Go to ZipRecruiter.com slash decode and start putting that technology to work for you. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash decode. I'd also like to tell you about one of our other podcasts, Recode Media with Peter Kafka. Peter, who'd you talk to this week? This week I talked to Bo Burnham. Um, who's sometimes described as a YouTube comedian or a stand-up. He's made a pretty amazing movie called Eighth Grade, which is not funny um, for the most part. It is about an eighth grade girl, and it is a sort of astonishing sort of presentation of what modern life is like for an eighth grader uh, in 2018. Um, You should go watch that movie, and then you should listen to me talk to Bo Burnham about it. Um, He's a pretty intense and trippy and smart guy. Sounds great, Peter. You can find Recode Media on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We're here with Matt Mullenweg. He is the co-founder of WordPress, someone I've known a very... How long have we known each other? A long, long time. Long, yeah, long, like, more 10, like four, 13, 13 years, years now. Right, yeah, exactly. Years. Which is another... It's a very long time in the internet world. So you just recently... You bought Long Reads, and then you um, bought Atavist. Explain, explain those two companies, and also why did you do this? Why are you acquiring media itself? You're a servicer of media. In a yeah, way. y'all for sale? Yeah, <laughs> no, <laughs> not today. Well, I don't know. I don't own it. I'm a shareholder, though. <laughs> I'm a large shareholder. The, um, you know, we've always tried to support uh, people doing innovative things that mm-hmm. kind of support the web that we want to see. Sure. And so Long Reads was a good early example of that. And more recently— Explain what Long Reads is for those who don't know. Sure. Long Reads started just as a Twitter hashtag, right? Mm-hmm. Of people highlighting some really great long-form writing. Right. Um, happening anywhere on the web. Mm-hmm. And has evolved. Um, you know, as part of Automatic, we've been able to give it a lot more resources. Where they're actually commissioning and writing um, a lot more content. In fact, mm-hmm. being nominated for a National Magazine Award last year. Right. So— 
it now is uh, having a very strong editorial voice and providing a place for writers, unbecoming writers, mm-hmm. readers, everything to engage with this type of content. Is that like content. medium to you or a competitor medium or? Um, it's, well, medium's a, a bunch of different things. Right. But, it uh, has been about seven or ten, but go ahead. Yeah. Um, I would say it's more our support of great literature, great writing, great long-form journalism. Mm-hmm. Um, Atavist is Why is that important to you, though? Why? why? Just because you like it? I think it's important for the world. It's like, I like ginkgo trees, so I'm going to plant them. What? What's the? There's a little bit of that, you know. Some companies sponsor golf tournaments. Mm-hmm. Like we, we support editorial. <laughs> right, right. But why is it good for WordPress? You just, you just think it's in your mission, or? Oh, you know, think about how did you become a writer? I don't remember. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. <laughs> it was that long ago. I, I, I started writing for the school news, uh, high, the college newspaper. Hmm. You probably were a reader before you were a writer. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the path a lot of people take. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's how I started blogging, because mm-hmm. I was reading great blogs at the time. Kotke, Dave Weiner, Neil mm-hmm. Dash. And that inspired Remember me. Suck? What's that? Suck? I Vaguely, oh, yeah. That was so a little good. bit before my time. So good. Um, the uh, Those great writers had made me want to write. And mm-hmm. so if we can bring more great writing into the world mm-hmm. and, su- one, support those creatives, which right. is they're having some trouble now, too, mm-hmm. to provide a sustainable business model that isn't reliant on advertising, that supports great creative voices and allows them to do things that maybe they couldn't at other publications. Yeah, and well, the business model for Long Reads is? Uh, subscriptions. Subscriptions, yeah. So people can become a member of Long Reads, and uh, we actually uh, multiply that subscription. So every dollar you put in a Long Reads, we, I think, triple it, and that 100% goes to writers. Right, okay. And so you did that, and how many people read that on a weekly basis, or how do you have that? I don't know off the top of my head. Right, all right. Okay, and then Atavis, what was the thinking behind that? Explain what it is for people. Who sure. don't know. Atavis is an interesting beast. So there is an Atavis magazine, mm-hmm. which publishes one thing per month, uh, longer, like tens of thousands of words sometimes, and narrative. Uh, so typically, really, really interesting stories. Uh, so, complementary to long reads, but also a bit different. Um, they also created a platform, so they had their own CMS, uh, like many people do. And but we found the CMS very, very interesting. Uh, they have some great publications like California Sunday Magazine on it, mm-hmm. a lot of great literature type folks, and uh, they built in some features, including some membership stuff. That we were like, wow, this is really cool. Um, it's hard to get people to adopt an on-WordPress CMS, mm-hmm. especially in 2018. But we said, well, if we could take some of this functionality, plug it into WordPress, we could ha- make it reach a much, much wider audience and perhaps right. even create some really interesting businesses there. Right. And what attracted you to that particular? Because there's a lot of magazines like this, correct? Or, uh, uh, well, they had the platform right. you know, as well as the magazine. I would say the magazine is something that will continue to go and it's very complimentary long read. But really, it was a platform that brought us to the table. Mm-hmm. And so you're not, are you combining them or are they run separately or? Combining Atavis platform mm-hmm. and WordPress? Mm-hmm. No, with long, I mean, how do you look at that? Oh, because Atavis has a very distinct format, you know, right. once a month, super long. Right. Um, that'll continue as its own magazine. Um, but it'll share resources, you know, right. editors, fact checkers, et cetera, right, right. with uh, long read. And how many people are now, I guess you're now a publisher, right? Oh, we, 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 you are a publisher, but not of your own stuff. When you get nominated for National Magazine oh, Awards, you, it feels like one. Jeff Bezos going to <laughs> the Oscars or whatever. No, it's, um, we, we definitely want to push that. Atavist actually has, has done a lot better there. I think nine nominations for mm-hmm. NMAs. So um, we want to create world-class content. And, you know, it's a little known fact, but... Automatics had an editorial team now for better part of a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so many companies 
put so much into their code and right. so much into the pixels and the design. And we wanted to create a group of folks who thought just as much about crafting the words. Right. And there's often a disconnect between the word people and the engineers. I've often, that's been a lot. I was just with someone at, uh, running a big site and hmm. still was complaining about it, the the issues of, who, and then someone who was on the geek side talking about that. And it was really interesting. It was se- separate conversations, but it was it was a similar disconnect in terms of product people understanding journalism or hmm. media content and media people understanding pro- products and what products they actually needed. I think every tech company should have an editorial team, actually. Well, me too. And, you know, just the the feedback they can give, both to our public, mm-hmm. everything that we do publicly. Right. Um, but also just, like, the copy on interfaces right. or things like that. It's great to have them involved at every step of the process. So, and do they have to be technical, do you think? Or how do you how do you bridge that gap? No, I mean, they tend to be technical because we're mm-hmm. a tech company. So folks who right. are generally a little bit more tech-forward right. um, to work at Automatic, you need to be. But... Um, what they bring is really that love and craft of the written word. Mm-hmm. You know, something that is a craft and skill that develops over many, many years. Right. Now, when you're talking about everyone should have an editorial, people talk about that at places like Facebook and Google. Now, Google has Google News Lab, which they're doing experiments in mm-hmm. all kinds of things, like really interesting stuff, um, and they're funding it. But it's largely an effort to assuage publish. It feels, you know, they actually do more stuff. They do some really cool stuff. They do. Under Richard Gingras and others. Um, they are, there's all kinds of experiments going on. And, and and I'm always surprised by how thoughtful a lot of them are. Um, Facebook, same thing, trying all kinds of things. I'm not as impressed with their editorial <laughs> efforts over the many years. Um, and it's changed and changed and changed again. And it's lar- I've largely come to the conclusion they don't care. Mm-hmm. Or they don't understand, or something's gone. I don't quite know what's wrong with them. I don't think it's malevolent. I think it's I can't tell mm. um, what's going on. So talk about that. Those kind of companies having an editor. When you say everybody should have those, you would think they would have a robust editorial um, point of view. You're talking yeah, kind of about two did. things. All right. Well, let's one start. is like support of publishing right. and news and everything right. like that, which is important. Which is a business model thing, right. I would say, as much as anything. Yeah, they've else. got to do that because they need the stuff on the. And why I think the company should have an editorial team is to bring that care. Mm-hmm. to the written word and their voice and everything that you do to your design, to your code, mm-hmm. to the performance, everything else right. that you have dedicated people to. Mm-hmm. It seems like just a huge uh, lacuna that most teams don't have that. Right. Um, our love of publishers, you know, you kind of went back to it. We actually just hired uh, Kenzie Wilson, oh, who was, cool. uh, yeah, he was at NPR, head of digital at New York Times, grew their subscriptions quite a bit. Uh, he's now running WordPress.com and Jetpack for us. Mm-hmm. And so we just have a, both deep connections throughout the whole company right. uh, to this space. And I would say it's kind of our, like, deep in our heart, we really love it. Right. So we'll continue doing it as long as we're around and, to do and it. And why don't it's you think like they do? Because they see, those companies seem to push away from the idea of it and want to make everything out. Mark's answers are all about algorithmic answers, mm-hmm. um, about figuring things out around news. It's obviously a very um, loaded topic. You know, it's hard to deconstruct why companies do or don't do something, especially... You know, or reflect on, like on the fake news thing, that they just didn't recognize it. They didn't do anything about it fast enough. And now they're they're almost, they they saying they're doing something mm-hmm. about it, but it feels like not nearly enough effort has you know, gone into it. What I will say is okay. that, um, you know, getting this to be something the company really cares about has to come from the very, very top. Right. And so if I were, you know, a news publisher, I would be very excited that Sundar mm-hmm. is a rabid newsreader. Yes, he is. You know, and so that— At Google. This is the CEO Google. of Google, yeah. Sundar Pichai. Um, so that makes me think that Google's actually going to do some really awesome stuff around newspapers mm-hmm. in coming years. And perhaps companies that don't do as well with it 
don't have that same passion. But what we're saying, do they have to when you have like a crisis like you did with with fake news or Russians just Russians people they always use the word hacking, but they use tools that were available. They mm-hmm. weren't they weren't hacking anything. They were using essentially what what was existing. Um, how do how did you look at all that when that was as it was rolling out? Because you have a platform, you have to be careful of people misusing it. We do. And people do publish things on WordPress and some mm-hmm. are untrue and things like that. Well, I didn't see a lot of testimony about your Russians being all over the WordPress platform, but <laughs> well, that's me. They, they, they use WordPress, of course, but mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if there's no distribution. Mm-hmm. People published false things and fake things forever. Right. What changed was the super platforms providing a ton of distribution for it. So mm-hmm. it was on the equivalent, if you went back 50 years, it was on the equivalent of the front page. Right. And reaching millions and millions of folks. So I think that's the difference. Uh, so regardless of whether those fake news sites used WordPress or not, the fact that doesn't matter if no one's using it. They're just not big enough for them. <laughs> they yeah. just want to where they want where, where the bank is, where the money is. Mm-hmm. But what what do you do about something like that in this era? Do you think a lot about this concept of putting out false information? Uh, definitely. And so another reason is we've always had a very robust terms of service team, mm-hmm. you know, being something that people publish kind of everything on. Mm-hmm. Um, we had to develop that very early on. So uh, we're big supporters of free speech, and WordPress is open source. So if, even if we don't like you, you can run it someplace else mm-hmm. on your own host. But um, for things that we host and run and provide our kind of like company backing to uh, implicitly through hosting mm-hmm. it, uh, we do avoid hate speech. We, you know, egregiously fake or harmful things. Uh, we're pretty good at getting off the system. Right. But do you think that companies moved to more aggressively into that? We had Daniel Eck from Spotify. Mm-hmm. They went very far one way, and then they pulled back rather dramatically. I, That's an interesting and different issue. Right. So um, the sort of moral standing of musicians and mm-hmm. whether their music should get distribution, mm-hmm. I think is almost a different issue than are you providing distribution for malevolent content right. or things that are knowingly right. trying to mislead All right, well, people. let's do the first one. Because uh-huh. what do you do then? If you were running Facebook, what would you have done? Now, when I asked this to Tim Cook, he said I wouldn't have been in this situation in the first place. The first one meaning the music one? The, or the, the first one, the Facebook, the Facebook okay. one. This platform was used by um, malevolent players in the way it was designed to be used, mm-hmm. essentially. What do you do then? If you, What would you have done in that situation? So the th- one thing they're doing that would also be on my list, mm-hmm. is the transparency around right. the ad. So you'll be able to see every ad, who ran it, who paid for it, and you can see an archive of them. The fact that we, you know, and it was their business model, you know, if I'm a business advertiser, I don't want everyone else seeing it. So the product had been kind of designed mm-hmm. to have these dark ads, to have hyper-targeting. Mm-hmm. It was, um, in hindsight, perhaps obvious, but at the time, obviously, to some very smart people, wasn't clear how that could be abused so strongly. Mm-hmm. And why is that? Why do you think that? Uh, that, I would say, is more intrinsic to the advertising business model. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, Facebook got a lot of heat for it. But I would say any sort of ad, I mean, I could hyper-target ads on y'all sites mm-hmm. uh, if I use the right distribution, the right ad provider, everything like that. And um, we're just at the tip of how this is being abused. Mm-hmm. There's the, you know, you know about ads being used to distribute malware. Mm-hmm. Some mm-hmm. of the things that would come out around state-sponsored hackers, one of the things they'll do is hackers? they'll— Hackers, sorry. Oh, I, I like hackers, though. Hackers. Hacking actors? Yeah, let's, well, let's coin that. Bad actors. Hackers. I like it. Um, 
is they would actually, like let's say I wanted to target someone who reads your site, mm-hmm. I would buy advertising, looks like normal ads, and then distrib- use that to distribute malware. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so wh- how, who, who's responsible for this? Where, do you think there's been a reckoning? People talk about this concept of reckoning in this area. Do you think what Facebook's doing for, by starting the transparency is enough? Or are these platforms too enormous to control? That's sort of the obvious question. Hmm. It's playing out interesting with this privacy thing going mm-hmm. on in California right now. Right, right. Explain. Yeah. There is a, uh, a ballot initiative that's going to have very strong privacy protections for mm-hmm. California residents to be able to ask. Similar. Uh, is the company selling your data, mm-hmm. sharing your data, and then you can ask them to stop. Right. And so the company would have to disclose that. Um, Great, actually great legislation. Like, feels like something that could have come out of Europe. Yes. Which I say is a compliment. Yeah. Um, aligned against it are all the tech companies, mm-hmm. you know, the ones that you would hear and think of. And uh, if it does go to ballot initiative, because California ballot, the direct democracy thing, it's very difficult to change, which it happens. Mm-hmm. And so they're saying that if it becomes a ballot thing in the November election, there could be 100 million plus spent against this. Right. And it kind of got on this because of a random real estate developer mm-hmm. <laughs> who spent $3 million getting it on the ballot. Right. Um, so they're going to attack him. They're going to smear him. They're going to like do all this sort of crazy stuff. And uh, I would love if, the, if we could just kind of reverse that and say, hey, much like there's been a change around time well spent where mm-hmm. t- technology was distracting us a lot, perhaps making our lives worse. Now all the operating systems are building and mm-hmm. um, systems to help. And what's that guy's yeah, name? He's so good. Um, oh, Tristan Harris. Tristan Harris, yeah. Really cause an industry change. I think we need that around privacy, data ownership, and uh, and advertising business models. Right. Except the train has left the station on that one. I, I, like this ballot initiative with people mm-hmm. in Europe, the pressure. They didn't do anything about it before. Has the train left the station? I don't know. Uh, I would say the GDPR is actually a very huge tech company friendly legislation mm-hmm. that penalizes smaller players. Yes, that's what most people think, yeah. And that's partially because, you know, the big people lobby and heavily influenced it. Right, and they can handle it. So what's really interesting about that is the idea of how much consumers care. Because I was at a big tech company, and they were like, consumers don't really care about mm-hmm. any of this. Do you think they do in the on these topics? You know, I'm a lifelong open source advocate. Mm-hmm. So I'm very familiar with, like, things I feel like are moral imperatives, like mm-hmm. the whole world needs to get on, that are difficult to get the general public to, uh, mm-hmm. to worry about. Mm-hmm. So I would say that it doesn't matter if they care or not. Yeah, um, I would agree. We, If you have a position of power in any regard, it's your responsibility to try to do the best thing for the world. Right. And so regardless of whether the public is going to poll around a certain issue, you know, like in your heart of hearts, right. you really know. You, we can convince ourselves. By the way, it's easiest to fool yourself, mm-hmm. especially if you're making money from it. You can convince yourself it's not. But like at some point, something will wake you up to it. Maybe it's a, a 2000, you know, uh, what was it, the year? Whatever the election that just happened, 2017 16. election, yeah, 16 election, sorry, mm-hmm. um, that wakes you up. But at some point, you'll wake up, and then, you know, it behooves you to correct it as soon as possible. One would assume. I'm going to talk about that when we get back. I want to talk about these ethical quandaries Silicon Valley finds itself in these days amid a very uh, troubled uh, political backdrop and other things. With Matt Mullenweg, he's the co-founder of WordPress, when we get back from a word from our sponsor. Today's show is brought to you by Secret Clinical Strength Antiperspirant. Let's clear a few things up. Number one, it's not actually a secret. You can tell anyone about it. Two, it's clinically strong, which means it's good at preventing sweat. Like twice as good as regular antiperspirant. That's why it's on the top shelf. Three, strength is a cool word. You really don't see a ton on women's deodorant packaging. So Procter & Gamble was like, sure, let's shake things up. Four, sweating is the worst. 
four and a half, not sweating is great, which is why you should buy Secret Clinical Strength Antiperspirant. That's Secret Clinical Strength Antiperspirant. I'd also like to tell you about my other podcast, Too Embarrassed to Ask. Every week we answer your questions about consumer tech and the week's news. This week I talked to Jaron Lanier, the author of 10 Arguments for Deleting Your Social Media Accounts Right Now. Jaron, what are we talking about? Oh my cats. God. We're talking about cats and how to not go crazy in the modern world and how to not let the whole world fall into darkness and unreality just because of some stupid advertising network. Yeah, do we like Facebook or not? We we forgive them their trespasses. Um, we need to do I, something about it. I am in love with a future version of Facebook that doesn't exist yet that isn't based on manipulating people and getting them addicted. Nice. Well said. You can find Too Embarrassed to Ask on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. That's Too Embarrassed to Ask. See you there. We're here with Matt Mullenweg of WordPress. We're having a very thoughtful conversation, Matt, as usual, because you're a thoughtful man, especially with that beard. It's distracting in a good way. (laughs) I feel like I have to be more serious with you. Um, I will post a picture of it, uh, a photo of it. When we talk about this ethical quandary and, and the way people have thought about when you find yourself in a situation, do you feel like the mood has changed in Silicon Valley? You've been around a long time. You've always been pretty ethically sound compared to most people. Um, I would say the mood has changed outside of Silicon Valley. Yes. Too. Okay. Know, so talk uh, about both those things. My home base is Houston, Texas. Right. Do you do live there? And, yeah. Yeah. And uh, so that's nice to be connected to a part of the country that a lot of my Beto. Tech peers. Are you helping don't, um, Beto? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Look at that thing um, that happened in Queens is sort of an interesting situation. I missed that. You have to uh, tell me this out. woman beat a guy who was possibly going to become Speaker of the House. He's been in office for— Oh, yeah, I did see she's that. She's like 28 years old. No one ever wrote about her. Like the New York Times hardly wrote about her. And uh, she just—she's she's fantastic. It just won. That's awesome. Just like that. It was interesting. Uh, she's very far progressive. I'd say far. I was going to say far left, but she's well, she's she's pretty far. Pretty left. <laughs> um, but uh, anyway, it's interesting. It's interesting what's happening in Beto, obviously in Texas. So you've lived there. Go ahead. So you've been seeing the rest of the country change. How so? I think that particularly this sort of post-election 2016, uh, people have woken up to the the dark side that tech can have on our lives, mm-hmm. and people also just live it every day when mm-hmm. like they find themselves at dinner with their loved ones and like being distracted or being interrupted or just how the, the incentives of particularly the social networks and advertising platforms is not necessarily aligned with what they want in their life. Right, right. They're, they're incented to have you stare at the phone or to use it excessively. Sure. And, not and then they start duking it out with each other, right? Because right. there's... I, I love I love Reed Hastings, but I remember once he had this funny quote. He was like, our biggest competitor is, is sleep. Oh. <laughs> you know, so like when you start to look at like there's a finite amount of hours in the day and you're trying to capture as many of them as possible. Right. Um, we're kind of caught in the crossfire there. Mm-hmm. Because? Because Netflix is completing with sleep and YouTube and everyone else that's trying to capture your attention. Right, absolutely. Um, I tend to prefer the more subscription-based uh, models there. Because then models you go and pull. Um, also, I feel like it aligns with the intentionality of what people are trying to bring this, to the table. That you yeah. Yeah, that you wanted to do it. Um, we've all experienced it where uh, you open something, maybe Twitter. I know you love Twitter. I do. Um, and you just find 20 minutes have passed. You're like, mm-hmm. what just happened? I just lost some time. Right. I don't even think about that. Anymore. And Twitter just gained a ton of impressions that they can sell to advertisers. Right. So how do you solve that problem with Silicon Valley and understanding? Because it's within their financial interests to continue the constant nature of it. The, you know, the, the vampire screen and the, that you never leave it. Mm-hmm. And it is enjoyable. I think we talked a little bit about it earlier, mm-hmm. that 
around things like memberships, around mm-hmm. more direct relationships between right. people creating things and people consuming things, you have an opportunity for potentially huge and disruptive business models right? without even needing like any blockchain magic. Right. Um, to uh, Blockchain magic. <laughs> Hackers and blockchain magic. Go ahead. To create other really compelling businesses. Right, right. Um, which Patreon's a great example you right. know, that have a so, so, scale up. So when you think about that responsibility, do you think that you said people outside are getting it? Do you think people in Silicon Valley, you know, you don't live here, but you know everybody here. And you do you think that they understand what's happening? The people outside or inside? Inside. Oh, yes. I think so as well. Um, if anything, I... Compared to other industries, finance, entertainment, oh, sure. um, I would say that tech is very, very self-aware, extremely intelligent. Our biggest, our biggest weakness is, I say this about Google, it's like smart people can convince themselves of anything, can mm-hmm. rationalize anything. Yeah. So that's where we mess up. And I'll put myself in this as well. Um, our biggest strength is I think it's an industry filled with incredibly thoughtful folks, uh, a lot of long-term thinkers, like really long-term thinkers that think in terms of 10, 20 years out. Mars, yeah. And a lot of power in the hands of kind of the, the proletariat in this case, which is the engineers and designers of the company. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's very, very interesting to start to see like these little internal revolts. Yeah, like around, at Microsoft over... Around, ice, yeah, immigration ice. stuff, at Google around, you know, drone military contracting for their facial recognition, like different things um, really starting to come to a head. And I find that incredibly fascinating. Where does that go? Because these are not top-down cultures. You're absolutely right. They're mm-hmm. not fascist cultures. Like, it's not hierarchical. Not at all. Um, I, I'm, you know, probably doesn't surprise you. I'm an optimist. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so even the companies I feel like have made huge mistakes thus far, uh, some of the ones we've named, I'm actually highly optimistic about them adapting and moving uh, mm-hmm. to a direction that's more beneficial for them and society over the next five years. Mm-hmm. Should tech people have a responsibility? Have, do, do they have to work? Because one of the, I was talking to one the other day, and they're like, look, um, we have a responsibility to do the product. Do we have to have a social statement on every product? And then then you contrast to say with Brian Chesky where he said, yeah, I do. I don't care if the Trump administration hates me. This is important to our company and our Mm. mission. Um, And so, you know, and he's like, I can't pick every topic, but you certainly can pick the ones that are near and dear to our hearts, immigration in their case. I think that, you know, one of the dangers in today's political Mm -hmm. environment is kind of outrage fatigue. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, there's a, there's multiple well, scandals outrageous. per day. It's, yeah. it's it's a reality show. Yeah. You know, so I think what is really important for tech companies and everyone is also take a step back mm-hmm. to not hop on every single bandwagon of every single issue and say like, are there more fundamental issues, perhaps around enfranchisement, mm-hmm. perhaps around you know getting people to the vote, right. uh, perhaps around funding of mm-hmm. elections mm-hmm. that are kind of the issue underneath. Right. Everything going on with immigration really yeah. and gay rights and everything else. So. Mm-hmm. And that's where you would focus or where you? That's where I do try to focus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What do you imagine? At the same time, there's companies do want people to stand up on, say, an immigration issue or mm-hmm. immigration is one of the bigger ones for Silicon Valley, obviously. But gay rights is another one. Um, all kind, You know, encryption popped its head up if that's going to happen again at some point. Yeah. Um, what does Silicon Valley has to do to get people thinking, you know, and you have Amazon, which looks like a behemoth coming everywhere, and obviously Trump's attacking yeah. Amazon. How, do, how does tech cope? Because it's not one group of people, but it is in a weird way. You know, I think tech just has to realize that we've grown up, mm-hmm. and we're now a huge percentage of the top 10 most valuable companies in the world, mm-hmm. and these companies are wildly, wildly profitable. Mm-hmm. 
So versus accumulating another $10 billion in offshore cash, like what are ways to reinvest that and back into the community? And so, you know, we made you a little bit talked about Google's putting, what, $300 million in yeah. back in the newspapers, and it feels like they're paying penance or feel guilty. Yeah. I would say that we also feel a little bit guilty. Oh, I think to Facebook some... should fund every local newspaper in the country. Right. So yeah. there's, Why not? Why not? There's versions of that that yeah. I think would be really, really valuable for the companies and for society. And it's not just, you know, greenwashing or something like that where mm-hmm. you're, like, just doing it for PR point of view. No, it actually care. really it's fundamentally aligned the companies. Um, with, with what their long-term plans. And again, one of the reasons I'm optimistic is tech companies tend to have uh, leaders that are around for a long time. Mm-hmm. They're founders. that with media and other yeah. things where people change every change couple of years. Yeah, that's because it's an old um, industry, an older industry. So, like, we, you know, feel like we've been kind of harsh on Facebook right. in this thing. Right. But, like, under Mark Zuckerberg's leadership, which I expect to last more than a decade, like over the next 10, 20 years, I, I would bet more on that than, you know, one of these companies changing management and leads every couple of years. Yes, oh, 100%. No, I, I want him to evolve. You know that. I want Mark to be a better man. Do you know that country song, A Better Man? Uh, no, I don't know. Yeah, he I should. needs to be a better man. I'm losing my Texas they card. Yeah, you really are. Um, so I want to finish up talking about you have a new board member, and one of the issues have been diversity. That's the other one. I'm going to harp on all these issues. Sure. I'm going to continue to. Tell, explain who you've just added and, and talk about why it's been so hard to create a diverse environment. I think it's good, but hmm. you may have a different opinion. Oh, well... You know, one of the unique things about Automatic is we're 100% distributed. Right. You know, we alluded to it. So we have 70, 750 people across, I want to say, like 64 countries. So no offices. Uh, not, no, negligible. Um, so you did have this one here, right? You had a nice place here. We had a nice building on Hawthorne Street. Yeah, yeah you, you did s- some events yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. Do you still have it? Shut it down. Oh, you did? Why? Mm-hmm. It was so pretty. Uh, you know, traffic got really bad in the Bay Area, and so even right. people who lived in this area stopped wanting to go into that office. Right. Working from home is really awesome, mm-hmm. if you like it. We still we have some desks in the rework here, so yeah. we downgraded. Um, you know, often in the U.S., we have a very U.S.-centric discussion around diversity. Mm-hmm. So we're saying, okay, um, and we're actually, you know, with the EOC and things mm-hmm. required to report certain demographic data, what is the percentage of Asians, Latinos, you know, mm-hmm. different things in the company. And we track these percentages and we publish the numbers. And, um, but fundamentally what the companies are like when Google talks about this is they're moving people to Mountain View. Mm-hmm. So they're kind of constraining to people who are going to go into a Google right. office or be at the Google campus, one of their offices around the world. How we approach that is actually saying, well, let's actually have someone that's not just from, you know, Mexico, but actually lives and works and wakes up every day in Mexico. Mm-hmm. And what kind of sort of viewpoint do they bring to our product development and the teams? So all the benefits of diversity, uh, which are innumerable, um, you can get from people really across cultures and geographies. And I truly do believe this is the future of work and the future of all companies. The people who distribute it everywhere. Yeah, you know, especially with like talent. If you right, believe as office? I do, yeah. people are equally intelligent and talented all over the world across yes, the seven and a half billion people. There's just been a difference in opportunities. Um, you know, you have a bunch of companies, the Googles and Facebooks of the world, kind of fishing the same small pond, which is the Bay Area. Mm-hmm. And there's a whole ocean of talent out there right. um, that distributed companies are taking advantage of. And it's not just us, um, but like companies like Envision is coming up on 800 people. Elastic is about the IPO. Elastic They're totally distributed. Is. You know, so these companies are saying, wait, there's smart people all over the world. Let's not try to move them to one place and let's get them together. What's the downside of that? Besides not having to go in the, I mean, you know, do you create a company culture? Is that important? Culture is is still really strong, you know, because that happens. Think of a Google's, you know, as soon as you're in more than one floor of a building, like right. you need to, you figure out ways to do that. 
the downside is that in person is really powerful. Like you and I are sitting across from right. each other right now. Right. Um, so we try to get people together a few times a year because we do think that's really important for human bonding. There's mm-hmm. something built into our operating system that getting together is important. But the other 48 weeks of the year, work wherever you can. Right. Wherever you want. Right. And you're going to continue to do that. Yeah. So one area that we weren't very reflective of this was our board. Yes. So automatic. We had um, a man board. Yeah. The board has been identical uh, since the day we started. Right. So we've dropped one person. So it was a four-person board, four including person. me. It was you, Tony. Who was it? Uh, two people named Tony. Yeah, Tony. Yeah. <laughs> Tony with an I, Tony with a Y. It was kind of the original folks who started uh-huh. with the founding of the company 13, 14 years ago. Right. And we haven't added anyone to it since. Right. So we are, are just now, board meetings actually two days, adding uh, the first new board member in that whole time. It's an amazing, amazing woman. Um, I was studying distributed companies because I'm actually going to work on a book on this mm-hmm. and uh, reading about oh, that's cool. different distributed organizations. Yeah. There's actually a ton of distributed organizations, yeah. and one of them I came across was the military. Yeah, they are. And so I started really reading a ton of books on the military. They do have like, some offices, though. Yeah. And then <laughs> I've got this Pentagon thing. <laughs> they do have some offices. It's but, real big. But their, you know, their yeah. effectiveness is often in a distributed mm-hmm. manner. And then I started to look, well, wow. These things are really won and lost on logistics. Right. So I read it, started reading a ton about logistics. And I came across this amazing woman, uh, now retired General Ann Dunwoody. Mm-hmm. Uh, she was the U.S. military's first ever four-star general, female mm-hmm. four-star general. And um, when she retired, her command was 68,000 people, a mm-hmm. uh, yearly budget of $60 billion across 150 countries. Mm-hmm. So basically so the supply, the logistics for every other branch of the military. Yeah. And... Uh, so I was like, uh, so first I read her book. She has a book called A Higher Standard, which talks about her journey. You know, she's fourth generation in West Point, joining the Army at a time when there was a separate women's corps mm-hmm. and like moving up literally through the ranks. And, uh, and I was like, I got to meet this woman. So uh, we finally met. I flew out to Florida and she is now, she's agreed and is now joining the How automatic How did you convince board. her? Just, um, you know. I bet nobody in tech went to see her and that's a perfect person. This is her first tech, yeah. first tech company board. She's By the way, on, everything in life comes down to logistics in case you're interested. <laughs> She's on some other public company boards, but this mm-hmm. is her first tech. And it was really, I think about going out there and having that in-person rapport. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we both had some similar backgrounds, both uh, raised Catholic. Mm-hmm. And I think that one of the things that really resonated her with Automatic is in the military, you know, people don't do it for the pay. They really need to believe in something larger, mm-hmm. that they're Speaking. fighting for something back home, a concept of freedom. There's a mission. And as she started to learn more about Automatic, you know, and the mission around open source and democratizing publishing and commerce and all the things that are really key to us, the things that I'm going to work on the rest of my life and the folks I'm lucky to work with want to as well, that started to resonate with her at a level. And even just, you know, being in procurement and logistics, understanding like the benefit of open source can have mm-hmm. on, on technology and our society. Uh, started to resonate with that, and, um, and that was how the conversations kicked off. Wow, and then she's joining? Yeah, she's joined, and yeah. so we're announcing it imminently. Wow, now you get two now. Man. This is actually the first time I'm talking well, about it publicly. Good. Well, two would be great. Oh, Three, yeah. four. Oh, I am, so anyone listening, I am actively talking to and meeting with lots of amazing candidates. Yeah, you can so. dump a Tony. One of them will. <laughs> dump a t- you can't have more Tonys on the board, t- Tony men. They than spell it differently. Women. I don't care. I know, I know. No, I, I 100% agree with yeah. you. So, uh, you know, we've restructured the board, kind of resetting it a bit. And I would love to bring folks, particularly folks with an experience um, at the scale that we're going, you know, mm-hmm. multi-billion dollar revenue, right. uh, thousands of people. Um, and then the Tonys can still be around the table. They can be observers, you know. Tony, uh, you're- 
dead. No, I'm no, 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 I'm no, no, teasing. no, no. This is a particular. We love our Tonys. Yeah, okay, sure you do. Anyway, Matt, this is really fascinating. Um, last question: If you had a, I ask a lot of people this. You know, if there's something you would do differently, what would you? You know, some mistake you've made or something you did really well. Either one. I don't. It doesn't have to be a negative. Huh. Um, you know, especially early on. Mm-hmm. Well, even up to like the past few years in automatics life. Uh, I think that, you know, like many tech companies, we try to work everything from first principles and reinvent the wheel a bunch. Mm-hmm. And also, I didn't really realize or even think maybe that the distributed model would scale, that we could mm-hmm. be much bigger. And so particularly, I'd say, when we were kind of 50 people to 300 people, it artificially keep the company kind of smaller than it needed to be. Mm-hmm. So we were getting stretched very thin and underinvested in things like finance you know, that were roles that either I didn't fully understand mm-hmm. or didn't, you know, appreciate. appreciate. Yeah. And so one of the big changes on the past couple of years is bringing on really experienced and amazing executives. Kenzie Wilson, head of design, John Maida, Chris Taylor, marketing. Yeah. Like folks who have done this many times before. Actually, uh, lead designer at Axios just joined. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, so people who have a ton of deep experience and then building the organization in a way that invest in those other areas not just engineering, design, and support, which are kind of right. our big three normally, but in those other areas that make the engineering, design, and support, and editorial work even better. Right, on a dist- especially the distributed model, you have to be very careful. Totally. Distributed actually doesn't change a lot. It's, right. Automatic looks like a normal company. There's an org chart, there's a hierarchy, right. there's team leads do one-on-ones. Almost everything is normal, except just where you go to work every day is a desk somewhere. Right. When does that book come out? That's fascinating, right? That's a great idea for a book. Uh, we'll see. So I'm I'm doing a lot of interviews and writing a lot this year. Good. And uh, I'm learning about the publishing process as well. Yeah. So oh I'm, man. I'm writing this because it needs to exist. Probably oh, going to open man, source the it. Publishing process. Uh, but I'll as you know, you there's a publishing it. process. Oy, that that's why I haven't written a book in ten years. There's a pony in there somewhere. There's not a pony in publishing. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just a pile of shit. Anyway, that was a reference, by the way, to yes, one of Kara's book. previous yes, books. Yes, indeed. There must be a pony in here Old school deep cut. Uh, absolutely. Anyway, Matt, thank you so much. It was great talking to you. Thanks for coming on the show. And we'll have you back when that book comes out. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. You can find more episodes of Recode Decode on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts, or just visit recode.net slash podcast for more. If you have a minute, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and tell other people about the show. That helps them discover great interviews like this one. Now that you're done with this, you should check out our other podcasts, Too Embarrassed to Ask and Recode Media with Peter Kafka. You can find those shows wherever you found this one. Thanks for listening to this episode of Recode Decode. And thanks to our editor, Joel Robbie and our producer, Eric Johnson. I'll be back here on Saturday. Tune in then. <laughs>